Those of you that were here first at 8.30 when we got started, you were wondering if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, weren't you? There was about 80 of you here, but you know, we have come to know ourselves as the church of the late arrival. And if you look around, look at all the people that are here. So I find myself often when I start messages, I say, today we're going to talk about one of my very favorite passages of the Bible. So I had that written for my message today, and I thought some of you were going, you know what, you just say that all the time, you don't really have any... It really is mine because it, it, it is one of my favorites in the New Testament because the passage we're looking at today somehow speaks to me because God tells a guy to go from where he's going where things seem to be going really well and He tells him to go to somewhere that makes absolutely no sense in the world. But God's got a plan. And, and it reminds me that part of what I love about the Bible is that Yes, it's God's Word, and and that makes it foundational for all of us. We should love it for that reason alone. But it's also great literature. It's great reading, and today's passage is one of those things that's just... It's an awesome one to read. I tell you a lot of times, uh, when you read the Bible, when I preach, my, my hope is that you allow a movie to kind of run in your head. And this morning, this passage would make a great movie, just, just to give you a heads up and let you know. I love that... What this one talks about is it it tells us and it it gives us a reason to be encouraged to be obedient to the voice of God. It's not easy as a Christian to be obedient to God because a lot of times we don't understand what God is saying. Maybe maybe we don't like what God is saying. Maybe we want to know more of the plan and the purpose than what God gives us. But God doesn't say He's going to help us with all that. We, We don't have to agree with what God says. We don't have to like what God says, but as Christians, what God expects of us is that we're obedient. And this passage today is is really a passage about obedience. It's about a guy who didn't have to leave where he was because everything seemed to be really, really good. But when God asked him to go somewhere else, an incredible thing was able to happen. But before we get there, between where we were last week, where Stephen had just been stoned and, and the folks were trying to understand what to do without him and they were scattered, uh, there was a, uh, an event that happened. And you can read about this. This is the first part of chapter 8. There's a guy named Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the Magician. And he shows up and he sees the disciples doing miracles. And he thinks this is the coolest thing in the world because he's kind of got his own gig going on the side that's got nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with God at all. He's just kind of got his own sideshow happening. I almost think of it like a a circus. There's a reason they call him the sorcerer, the magician. He's out there to trick people. And what he says is, you know, this power that you've got, let me know how to have that. I want to buy it from you because I want to do that as well. And the disciples come back and they go, no, that's not the way it works at all. It's not for sale. And what I realized when I was looking at it, and this would be a whole other thing to talk about, you are a victim of something that's going on in the Christian church. If you watch any television, any TV evangelist, if, if you read a lot of stuff, or, you know, there's a lot of books that are written about it as well. And I realized that the beginning of a lot of it happens with the Simon the Sorcerer thinking he can buy the power of God. What we've called it today is prosperity theology. And we think that's a fine thing. Well, that's good. We all want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? But you know what? The Bible doesn't say that, that being obedient to Jesus is going to make you rich. The Bible doesn't say that the power of God can be bought so whoever's got the most money, God loves the most. But there's a theology out there that says that that's true. Well, that works great when things are going well and you've got a lot of money. But you know what? If you're someone who doesn't have a lot of money, that does not mean you don't have a lot of faith. And part of what happens in this passage that we're going to pass over today with Simon the Sorcerer is 
these disciples just confront this guy head on and then they continue to do some ministry with him and the story changes. But it ends up being the foundation for a lot of heresy in the church today. And I just want to tell you, don't get caught up in that. We do not buy into that. I don't believe in that. My answer to people who believe that prosperity theology is simply this. If God really wanted the most faithful among us to be the wealthiest among us, there would be people still spending the disciples' money today. But yet all of them were put to death in horrible and miserable ways. God is not a God who says, I'm going to make you rich and that will make you happy. What God says is that I want to change you from the inside out and that will give you joy. And that's the passage that we're really talking about today. As the early church spreads, joy is what begins to follow them. They, the cities that they move into see that joy comes with these disciples, not because they're great guys, not because they're rich, but because they have Jesus. So we pick this up in the book of Acts where the believers, they've been scattered for the fear of their lives. They're off in Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus had said they would. But we talked last week that rather than acting like refugees, they're out there as missionaries. They're spreading the good news of Jesus and they're bringing joy with them because lives are being changed. So we catch up with this guy named Philip. Philip's leading quite a gathering and, and he's a missionary like the rest of them. He's got tremendous success where he's preaching. He's literally seeing people by the hundreds, probably the thousands being converted. And his ministry, by every measure, we would call a tremendous success. And then God sends a message to Philip. So today, I want you to do two things. I want you to let the movie run in your mind. And I want you to think about what if you were Philip. What if where you are in your life, or maybe things are going pretty well, the job's working out, the family's holding together, you know, there's a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of happiness. What if this was you and God said, hey, you know what, I want you to go from here and I want you to go over there, but He doesn't tell you why. How would you respond to what Philip was told? So we pick it up, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, the only way that Philip knew that this was an angel speaking to him was because he had a relationship with God already. Some of us would think, well, what's that voice in my head? Go away. I'm not going to do that. Part of having a relationship with Jesus is we know we know when it's God speaking to us because we know God's character. We, are con- we know that God is always consistent. So the angel of the Lord says to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it says, This is a desert place. And Philip's going, Huh? He's got this revival going. He's got people that are coming to faith. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. And this angel says, pick up and go. And by the way, go to this dusty road out in the middle of the desert. It's more known, it is more known for robbers than revivals. The first thing we realize is that sometimes God tells us to go where He needs us, where it doesn't make us make any sense to us at all. So the question is, do we go? Or do we come up with excuses and reasons not to? Verse 27, And what did Philip do? He rose and he went. Philip immediately got up and he went where he was told to go. He left everything that he was working on behind. Obedience, then, is simply acting on what we are told and simply doing, not coming up with reasons not to do. And it's one thing to say, well, I know God wants me to. It's something else to do what we're told. True confession I spent no less than eight years knowing I belonged at seminary, but not going. What was my reason? I have a deathly fear of speaking in public. I still do. 
And so I said, God, there's no way in the world you can use me because I'm not going to get up and stand in front of people and talk. When I was in high school, my dad was a biology teacher. Four doors, four doors down the hall on the other side of the hallway street was Mr. Tedrow's room. Mr. Tedrow was a speech teacher. Mr. Tedrow terrified me. Partly because of who Mr. Tedrow was. Awesome guy, by the way. But mostly because he taught German, which I didn't know a bit of, and he did speech class, which I had to take. The only class in high school that I skipped without my father's permission was the day I was supposed to give my first senior high speech. And things haven't changed very much. That's part of why I understand this thing with Philip. Philip is an encouragement to me of a guy who did it right when I know for eight years I did it wrong. So he picks up and he goes. He ends up down in this desert road and says, There is an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all of her treasury. Did you catch that? This guy that Philip catches up with is from another culture, looks completely different, completely different kind of guy, from another continent, on a road heading away from Jerusalem. God says, But I want you to go there and talk to this dude. No less, he's the court official to the queen of Ethiopia and he's in charge of all of the treasure that that woman is responsible for. This is setting up as nothing short of a go-God moment. The Bible says he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Remember now, we don't know exactly how long, but we're not too far past the day that we call Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as the king of the Jews. The end of that week, Jesus was put to death on the cross. It's the biggest festival in the, in the Jewish religious tradition was what was happening that week. This guy was likely there because he had heard that Jesus, the King of the Jews, was there. He was expecting to see Jesus crowned King. Instead, what happened was he was in town for the crucifixion of the one that he thought was supposed to be the King. The Bible says that he went to worship, and my guess is he was leaving more confused than when he had ever got, even gotten there. So verse 28, he was returning and seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. There's an awful lot in Isaiah that talks about what the Messiah is going to look like, the man that we understood as Jesus, the Son of God, what he was going to like, be like, what he was going to go through, what was going to happen. And he was reading the words of the prophet and trying to reconcile them with the events that he had just witnessed because he was pretty sure that Jesus matched up to everything that he was supposed to to be the one that they'd been waiting for. And the Spirit said to Philip, different than an angel now, right? This is the Spirit of God, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. God gave specific instructions on what Philip was supposed to do. I wish God would do that with me more often. He gave specific instructions. After all, Philip's in the middle of nowhere on a dusty road in the middle of the desert. This is a good place if you haven't started the movie, get the movie rolling. This is about to get interesting. doesn't say that Philip took an Uber doesn't say that Philip had a donkey. doesn't say that Philip borrowed a buddy's horse. It says that he got up and he went, and he ended up on the desert road. And God says, there, that chariot that's going down the road there, that, that's the guy you're going to talk to. Go follow that one. So verse 30, Philip ran to him. I have no idea how old Philip is, but here's what I know. It's a desert. It's a dusty road. It's hot. He's got a long robe, maybe made out of linen, probably made out of wool, a few layers. It's hot, and he's running. Good movie, am I right? Philip is running to this chariot and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? See, I can just imagine Philip, this Middle Eastern guy, 
running after the much faster chariot of the royal official from Africa in the middle of the desert. I mean, this is good stuff, but you realize that nothing has stopped here. He's running after the chariot, listening to the guy read, and the guy's got to look out his window going, what? But there's Philip. And there's the eunuch reading from Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? And the the eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me or explains it to me? Philip's still running. They're having a conversation. And this man from Ethiopia is very confused. Here's what I take from that. When you're willing to be obedient to God and, and to be a missionary in any way, shape, or form, maybe that's talking to the guys at work. Maybe that's talking to people at the coffee shop. When you're willing to stand for your faith, when you're willing to speak for God, God is going to put you in the most unexpected places and give you the most incredible opportunities to tell about who Jesus is to you than you would ever be able to possibly come up with on your own. Finally, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip goes, it's about time. See, at this time, Philip's still been on the outside of the chariot. He's been obedient to God's leading. He's got the opportunity to share Jesus with somebody because they're asking him questions. It doesn't get any better than that. One of the things that I learned doing outreach as a pastor for years and years was the best way for me to share my faith was to give someone an opportunity to ask me about it. Because when they ask me a question about what I believe, they have to listen to my answer. But if nobody knows what you believe, if nobody knows where you go Sunday morning, if nobody knows why, they're never going to ask. And so part of being a Christian is being willing to let people know what we believe. Because when they know what we believe, we get an opportunity to tell them why. So he goes on and he reads from Isaiah, and it's part of what is going to happen with the Messiah when he comes and how his life is taken away. And in verse 34, the eunuch says to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? He's going, I don't get it. Is Isaiah talking about this is what's going to happen to him? Or is he saying this is what's going to happen to somebody else in the future? He's confused. He thought he understood, but now he doesn't. And Philip opened his mouth. And I love this part. It says Philip opened his mouth. But it doesn't say Philip began to speak. And I realize that's that's slicing really thin tomatoes there. But you know what it said? The The Spirit spoke to Philip. The Spirit is still in Philip. The Spirit is going to give Philip the exact, proper, and appropriate words to say. And it says, And Philip began, er, Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. If you're anything like me, you get nervous about telling people what you believe because you're not the world's best Christian. Because people know you well. They know what a sinner you are. If, if you are ever cautious about telling your friends what you believe, you say, well, I, I would like to, but they're just going to point out where I'm wrong and not good enough. You know what? It doesn't matter. That's why we have Jesus. If you wait for the day that you're the perfect Christian, you're never going to tell anybody because you're not going to get there till heaven. And what Philip does is he just begins to explain to this guy. He tells him the good news about Jesus. He doesn't talk about himself. He talks about Jesus. You and I, with the people that we talk to, we don't have to talk about us. We talk about Him. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Hold on here. Did you catch that? Where are they? They're in the middle of the desert. In your experience, how much water is there in the desert? Not much. We're talking about a God-ordained moment here, right? So as they're going along, they come along some water. And the eunuch says, See, here's water. 
What prevents me from being baptized? Because Philip had talked about, here's what you do. You believe and you're baptized. And the eunuch says, great. That's what I want to do. That, that true significance of baptism isn't lost on this guy. We should be compelled to be obedient to Jesus in the same way. See, God's always going to provide what we need, no matter how impossible it might seem to us. This guy gets to the point where Philip says, all you have to do is believe and be baptized. And the eunuch says, well, that's awesome, but we're in the middle of the desert. There's no water. Oh, there's water. You know, if you're willing to take the step and talk to people about Jesus, God's going to give you all the words that you need, and it isn't your job for them to believe in the first place. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the guy commands the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. This foreign man understood the importance of obedience. So I get thinking about that, and I think, you know, it's kind of cool because we don't live in a desert. We actually are, are talking today and this afternoon and evening about this incredible thing that God is doing among us. So you get to thinking baptisms. Do you know how much fun that's going to be out there? Baptisms on our beach? But the thing is, what we need is people who believe and are ready to be baptized. What we need is people who are ready to say that, okay, I believe in Jesus, but I'm willing to take a step. I'm not going to worry about being shy. I'm not going to worry about what people think about me. I'm going to worry about what Jesus thinks about me. I think how exciting is it when we get to do our first baptisms here in the lake. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way doing what people have been doing in the book of Acts from the beginning. He went on his way rejoicing. He was filled with joy. Why? Because the joy of Jesus follows wherever Jesus is preached. That man no longer had confusion. He no longer didn't understand. What he realized was that the words of the Old Testament that he was trying to get to make sense had been fulfilled. Jesus was there. The Messiah that they'd been waiting for had arrived. See, God called Philip away from something that was really successful and was working well and sent him to a place that Philip didn't know and he could only trust God to be directed for the reason being there. Philip didn't have a map. Philip didn't have a plan laid out. He didn't understand why God called him somewhere else. He only knew and trusted that it was God who had called him. See, sometimes God calls us into something we don't completely understand. And because we might say, no way, and run in the opposite direction, God doesn't give us all of the details. We get to understand it as we go, as long as we're obedient. Because sometimes the full scope of God's plans for us are more than we could possibly imagine. I come out to this place and I, I look at this building and I look at the grounds that surround it and I look at the possibility that sits out here and I think where the Bible says too much has been given, much will be expected. And I think, wow, God has got a lot planned for us. What an incredible opportunity we have in this place not to be awesome in who we are, but because of the awesome God that we serve. Rarely does God tell us all the pieces of His plan. What He does is ask and expect us to trust in His plan for us. And even in providing water in the desert, God will always provide everything we need. I can promise you this. If you're willing to step out in faith and set your nerves aside and tell a friend of yours about Jesus who doesn't currently know Him, God's going to give you everything you need to say to speak in that moment. 
Whatever it is that that person needs to hear because, you know what, that's one of those divine appointments that God sets. And if you're willing to be obedient in being there, God's not going to leave you without words. God's going to give you all the words that you need. You might walk away thinking, wow, I just goofed that one up, something terrible. And the next thing you know, a week later, that person comes back and wants to know more. See, because of Philip's obedience, the gospel was carried straight to the queen of Ethiopia. It reached eastern Africa, maybe decades before it would have otherwise. Makes me wonder how God will use us and use this place for His purpose if we're willing to be excuse me, faithful, obedient, and generous. I wonder what God will do if we're willing to be like Philip and put God in His call ahead of our own wants and plans and wishes. I wonder what God has in store. It's all begun, you know, and instead of leading us into the desert, God led us here. You want something to be thankful for? Be thankful God led us to this place. But God's already at work, and we're already on the move. He brought us here where there's already water, here where the real work that He's called us to is beginning now. Later today, you're going to get the opportunity to come back and and there's some folks that have just put a tremendous amount of time and effort and energy into planning just an awesome afternoon of celebration. Uh, if you've not seen this property from the water, you're going to have a chance to see it from the water. Uh, if you've not been up to where the crosses are on the hill, you're going to have a chance to go up there. If you've not been down to where the RV park is, there have been folks that have been cleaning up, you'll get to see that. You get tours of all this stuff, and, and we're going to have some awesome food. And then we're going to get together and we're going to have a worship service and talk about what it is that God is doing here where it is that God might be leading us. I hope you will make plans to come back here, not just for the food and the tours and to appreciate the, the land, but to get a better understanding of what it is that God is doing in this place. See, God has offered giving us an opportunity. God's offering us a moment to share the gospel in this place, much like Philip had to share the gospel in the desert. And what today is really all about is you understanding that, you catching and sharing the dream and you choosing to be a part of it. Because the fact is, if there's just a handful of us, God isn't going to accomplish what God brought us here to accomplish. What God needs is all of us working together. So I hope you plan to come back at 3. I hope that when God puts on your heart to answer to someone why it is you believe what you believe, I hope that you'll be honest even if you don't entirely know, even if you don't have all the answers. I hope that you be like Philip and, and just do what God is leading you to do and God will make the rest of it clear when you get where you need to go. Let's pray. God, thank You for who You are. Thank You that we've got stories in the Bible that are not just fiction. It's great literature. It's fun to read. But it's Your history. It's Your history at work among us. God, thank You for that. Thank You that... We are here right now in this moment, in this place, and we get to be a part of what You're doing here. Thank You for the privilege and the honor of using us to accomplish Your purpose in this area. God, I pray that we would never get tired of being grateful and thankful. That we would never get tired of telling people why it is that we love You and why it is that we put our faith in Jesus. And that we would never grow weary of being people who are generous in heart, in spirit, with all of the things that you have given to us, that we would be able to use them to reach the world for you. And God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.